0: So Our uh, scripture reading this morning is two stories that are uh, often split up. Uh, The um, Revised Common Lectionary splits up these two stories. Um, Usually Sunday School Literature uh, will split these stories up. Um, Even in your Bible as you look at these stories uh, they'll have separate headings. But I'm convinced that they're one in the same story. Um, I'm talking about in Mark 10, 13-31, uh, uh, there's a story of Jesus and the little children, and then Jesus and the man we often call the rich young ruler. And, uh, and uh, these, these stories appear in, in uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I mean, all three of those Gospels, they appear one right after the other. And... They appear in the same scene. There's not a change of time or a change of scenery. They appear right together in the same scene. And so, I am convinced um, that these uh, that these stories are meant to be read together, and that one comments on the other. And so, I just want you guys, as I as I as I read this, just sort of take it in as one story. So that's uh Mark uh, chapter ten verses thirteen. Through 31. Hear now the word of our Lord. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of an eagle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. So, um, many of you know Aaron Miller. Aaron and I have this friend named Dustin. Dustin used to be in my youth group, and he's in college now. And always, like, when, uh, when kids graduate, I say, um, I'm no longer your youth pastor. Now I'm your friend, and uh, and so I count Dustin among uh, my friends. And um, Dustin, uh, if you ever got the chance to meet him, he is just the most wide open person I know. Like he will talk to anybody about anything. Um, he knows no strangers. Uh, Dusting is the kind of person that uh, will meet someone and uh, in, in 10 minutes later, he'll, uh, he'll be their best friend. And um, so Dusting is excited about almost everything he does. And uh, he gets it in his head. He's going to do something and nothing deters him from his purpose. He decided uh, three or four years ago he was going to play tennis. And he didn't have any of the equipment to play tennis. And there's, there's a funny story about uh, one of the kids at—Dustin goes to Pulaski. One of the kids at Radford, and um, uh, the Radford tennis team, talked about, I went up to Pulaski to play Pulaski tennis. Uh, this kid came out, and, uh, and he was wearing blue jeans. And he was playing tennis in blue jeans. And that was Dustin. And Dustin Begum, right? In blue jeans. Um, That's Dustin. So Aaron and Dustin and I were uh, having dinner. uh, We're having lunch um, earlier this week. And uh, we were sitting around the table, and I was asking Dustin about his summer. See, earlier... Earlier, uh, last year, he had decided he was going to spend his summer in Ocean City, Maryland, uh, that he was going to go with a uh, group of college kids from Campus Crusade for Christ, and he was going to be a missionary uh, in Ocean City. And um, all of us sort of mocked him, right? We said, said, Dustin, that's not a mission trip, that's a vacation. You just want to go hang out on the beach, and he'd be like, no, no, I feel God calling me to, to, to Ocean City, and I'm going to go to Ocean City and be a missionary this summer. And so uh, earlier this week, uh, sitting, uh, sitting around the table at lunch was the first time I've really had to sort of uh, talk to him about his summer and hear how it went. He was so excited. He couldn't wait to tell me about everything that happened to him at Ocean City. Um, You know, he said when he left, um, he only had the trip half paid for. And so um, he was just hoping that God was going to give him the rest of the money uh, when he got there. Right. And um, Dustin never has a plan. He just does. Right. And so he goes to Ocean City and somehow he convinces people to uh, fund the rest of his summer. Um, He uh, he winds up um, working in a surf shop. For a summer as a part time job and just uh, just falls in with that family and really gets to know that family and uh, he he was He was so excited he was, as he was talking to me about um, uh, you know all the people he got to talk to on the beach and he got to pray with them and and, and some of them uh, he said he even he even led to christ and uh, he was just so excited and uh And and, and then he said, Danny, you should go next year. (laughs) I'm like, Dustin, I can't go to Ocean City. I work for three churches. (laughs) I have a wife and kids. I can't just drop everything and leave. I want you to know, as I was driving away uh, from lunch, if I'm honest, I felt just a little bit of sadness, like there was a part of me that, that remembered what it felt like to be like Dustin. There was a time in my life where I could just drop everything and whatever I heard the Lord calling me to do, I, I was going to go do that and nothing was going to stop me. I was going to worry about the money when I got there, you know, and I realized that time has sort of come and gone in my life. I have a job, responsibilities, I have a family. But even more than that, it's not just the logistics. There are sometimes times I, I feel like I'm not quite as on fire as I was when I was Dustin's age. There's sometimes I feel like I, th- th- there's something missing in my spiritual life right now that, 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 that kids like Dustin are managing to hold on to. It's hard to figure out what exactly it is. Some of you all feel like that sometimes. Like you can think back to when you were first like a Christian and you were, you were so on fire and, and you just got saved or, 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 or just been confirmed or whatever it was and, and, uh, and, and, and you just uh, were, were bursting with excitement. And, and there was that moment in your life where, where God could ask you to do anything, you could drop everything, and you would do it because you were just so passionate. And now you kind of look back, and it feels a little bit like something's missing. And you're not quite sure what it is. I believe the answer to that is in our scripture reading this morning. See, the scene opens up. Jesus, uh, I guess he's been teaching, um, and uh, and he's wrapping things up, and all of uh, these people are bringing their children to Jesus because they want him to bless him. We don't know exactly know why. Maybe they've heard that he's uh, a miraculous man. Maybe they've heard that he's a man of God, and uh, they just want Jesus to touch the children and uh, so that all will go well in their lives. Uh, they, they believe there's something special about Jesus' touch, and so they're just, they're crowding around Jesus, holding up their children, holding up their babies, um, uh, uh, pushing the, 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 the four-year-olds further and say, just touch him. And the disciples are looking at this, and they're thinking, this has got to stop, right? The disciples are important. They're the gatekeepers, it's their job to, uh, to, to guard um, Jesus' uh, time and energy. And, and, uh, and they're seeing these children and, uh, and, and, and with, with God knows what diseases, these filthy little kids just being pushed up to Jesus. And they're like, we've got to get between our rabbi and these kids. And so uh, uh, the scripture says the disciples rebuked them. I'm not sure who them is. It's either the children or the parents, right? And we talked about rebuke um, last week. It's not like a tersely worded statement, right? Um, uh, get thee away. The master has no time for you. Rebuke is like, be gone, right? <laughs> rebuke is what Jesus does to demons, right? And so, uh, and so the disciples get between um, uh, uh, Jesus and the parents and the kids and say, get, go, be gone, Jesus sees this, and he's indignant, and says. What are you doing? Let the children come to me. Don't get in their way. Don't you understand the kingdom of God belongs to such as these? Then he says, I tell you the truth. Whenever Jesus says, I tell you the truth, or verily I say unto thee, right? You need to perk up your ears, right? This is important. I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he receives it like a little child. So the disciples back off, right? No one can receive the kingdom unless they receive it like a child, right? Crystal clear, go about your business, do what you're doing. Now, the disciples are probably confused, right? Just as a given, they always seem to be confused. And and Jesus always seems to, like, drop these little truth bombs and not really explain what they mean, right? And so the disciples are probably sort of wondering to themselves, receive the kingdom like a child, what does that mean, right? Right? is kind of a funny saying. We kind of puzzle about it ourselves. What does that mean? What's Jesus gigging at? Receive the kingdom like a child. I can remember, <clears throat> excuse me, I can remember um, being six or seven years old and uh, being in my uncle David's front yard and uh, in his front yard, there were, like, uh, there were like these plants in front of the house. And all the plants were sort of, uh, they have mulching. On top of the mulch were these uh, bright white rocks. And I can remember my Uncle David telling me, Hey, Danny, did you know I used to uh, be an astronaut? I said, really? He's like, yeah, I uh, used to uh, fly space shuttles with NASA. Wow. He said, you see those white rocks over there? I brought those back from the planet Venus. I'm not kidding. Two years ago, I was sweeping around the house. Two years ago, I thought to myself, man has never set foot on Venus. There's no way he brought those rocks back from Venus. You ever have anything like that? Someone told you something as a kid and you just unquestioningly accepted it, right? And then later in life, you look back and it's like, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense. There's no way, right? Um, many of us think accepting the kingdom of God is, is like that. Like you just accept unquestioningly um, anything your pastor or uh, youth pastor or, 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 or um or Sunday school teacher says, right, without blinking, uh, you say it, I believe it, right? That that's accepting the kingdom of God like a child. I don't think that's quite it. Um, some people say, you know, it's about innocence. You know, children are just so innocent. They're just so pure, like their minds are just they're unpolluted by the world. They just they, they think good thoughts all the time. People that say that have obviously spent no real time around children. Um, Having three myself, children are conniving, right? They are are plotting and scheming. They realize what power they, they have and they have to leverage it to come between you and your cookies, right? They're just always, always working on something, scheming. They can be cruel, they can fight with one another, I don't think uh, Jesus is holding up children as like paragons of virtue. If only you could be like these little snots, right? I don't think that's, uh, that's what Jesus is gigging at, right? So what is it? What is Jesus saying? Receive the kingdom like a child. And normally what the disciples would do is they'd take Jesus aside and say, explain this to us. What did you mean when you said that? explain this hard teaching to us, but they don't get the chance. See, Jesus is uh, wrapping up shop. Um, he's, He's blessed all the kids. He's getting ready to leave, and out of the crowd runs this man, and this man runs and interrupts the whole proceedings, and he kneels down before Jesus, and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to enter the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life? Something is burning in this man's heart, right? He's been sort of standing in the crowd and he's been hearing Jesus' teaching and he just heard Jesus talk about receiving the kingdom of God like a child. And I think he's kind of wondering the same thing. What does that mean? What does that look like? Maybe he even remembers a time when when he was passionate about following God, and something's awakened in him, and he's thinking, I want that again. I I remember what it was like to accept God as a child. How can I get that back? So he sees Jesus about to leave, and he can't let the opportunity pass. He runs out, and he kneels before Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do? Jesus has a conversation with him. Why well, you call me good? He says, "No one is good but God alone." Then he says, "Follow the commandments. You know the commandments. Um, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother." And the rich man looks at Jesus and says, "All these I have kept since I was a boy." Now, you and I were good Christians, right? We go, huh no, uh-uh. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That man is prideful, right? But if that's what Jesus is thinking, he certainly does not let on, right? He seems to be taking this man's claim at face value. The next thing it says is he loved him. Jesus looked at the man and he loved him. Like, here is this guy. He he's obviously humble. He's got this sense of urgency, right? He's kneeling before me. He's asking how he can be a part of what we're doing here. Right? And uh in And he's been keeping the commandments, and he wants to take it to the next level. Jesus looks at him, and he loves him, right? This guy is disciple material, right? This guy can come follow me. So Jesus is excited. There's just one thing, right? There's just one thing you're missing, one thing you lack. Sell all your possessions, give your money to the poor, then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, we don't like that. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to read that. We'd be happy if the pastor would just skip that, right? But it's in there. In bright red letters. Right? And so, uh, so we have to explain it away, right? And one I hear the most often goes something like this. You see, this was a special case, right? Jesus was looking at this one man. He was peering into his heart. And he knew this man's problem is greed, right? And, uh, and Jesus was able to see this man's problem was greed. And so he, he, he wrote him a, a prescription just for his heart. This man needs to be willing to give up everything and come follow me because his problem is greed, Right? And we sort of let ourselves off the hook, right? My problem's not Greek. I'm so glad I don't have to give up my stuff because I couldn't do it, right? But what Jesus is asking of this man is what, is what he asked of all of his disciples. All of his disciples. Peter, John, Andrew, James, Leave that boat behind. Leave that fishing business behind. Leave that sense of security that comes from having steady work behind and come follow me. Levi. Leave that tax table behind. Leave all that money that you're you're skimming off your fellow countrymen behind. Leave the way that you're, you're paying for your lavish lifestyle behind and come follow me. Birds have nests, foxes have dens, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. If you follow me, you're going to be living one day from the next, not knowing where your next meal is coming from, not knowing how the money situation is going to be figured out, right? Right? What Jesus was asking of this man was the same thing he asked of all his disciples. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Come, follow me. This is the man's face fell. I think he was sad, for he had great wealth. Literally, for he had much property. See, the rich ruler started thinking about all of his responsibilities, started thinking about all that land he had, started thinking about all the people that, when, when you think about it, actually depending on him for, for, for work, right? Uh, the, the people that depending on what his land produced. He started thinking about his lifestyle, the luxury he enjoyed, and how it was all built on those businesses. And he realized, I can't just go following this uh, rabbi town to town. I have responsibilities. I have a business. I've got things I have to do. I'll leave a hole when I'm gone. See the rich young ruler's problem wasn't greed I don't think it was his need for security it was his need to know everything was taken care of he was unwilling to let go of that and depend wholly and fully on Jesus and that's not his special little problem that's all of our problems we all have those things to stand between us and fully depending on Jesus. We have, all have those things we cling to for security that we know we need to let go of, and yet we just can't do it. We walk away sadly. You see, what it means to receive the kingdom of like, a chi- like a child to have total dependence on Jesus. Little Ellie back there is totally, totally, totally dependent on her parents for everything food, shelter, emotional support, eventually, like her, her spiritual well being, right? All of that stuff. She's totally, totally dependent and at the mercy of loving parents. I'm going to admit something to you all. I'm struggling. My kids, against my wishes, just keep getting older. And it's really, it's, it's really getting tough. I, I look around the table sometimes at dinner and I just realize this is the best. This is the best it's going to be, this age right here, and time only flows in one direction. I had this thought the other day, and I think I came up with it, but it it may be something I read on Facebook four years ago, and it's just like bouncing around back here. You never know. But my thought was this. Parenting has four phases. And they can be summed up in four statements. The first phase is this, hold my hand. The second phase is, stay where I can see you. The third phase, call me when you get there. And then the final phase is, won't you come visit again? And I watch as my kids are moving from one phase to the next, and I don't like it. But there's something healthy and natural about that. See, that's what growing older is, right? You're supposed to grow from this place of total dependence to this place of independence. And as parents, it's sort of our job to get you from here to there, right? But it's sad, it hurts. But discipleship goes the opposite direction. Discipleship is all about moving from uh, total independence to total dependence. It's about relying more and more and more on Jesus each day for everything. Right? That's We're growing young here. We're, we're, we're trying to become more like children each day, more and more and more dependent on Jesus for everything. And it's hard. And there are things we don't want to give up. There are things that we control, that, that, that we don't want to turn over to Jesus. There, there's For all of us, there's probably that one thing we lack, that one piece of property that we own that we can't say goodbye to. That one, that one security blanket we just can't drop and do without. And Jesus is looking at us. He's loving us. He's saying, one thing you lack, let go of that and surrender to me fully. It's scary. It's scary. Right? For some of that, us, that is stuff, right? For some of us, uh, we know God has a plan for us that involves letting go of some stuff. A ministry for us that involves uh, uh, letting go of some stuff so we can finance or support the ministry, right? For some of us, that's like this, this hurt and this pain and this anger we're carrying around, right? Or this, this special little right we've carved out for ourselves. Um, this, this, little, this little sin that we say isn't infecting the rest of our life, and I deserve this anyway, so I'm just, I'm just going to have this. And whatever it is for you, it's that one thing you lack that you know you need to let go of, and yet you may walk away from here sadly. I just can't do that. I'm not ready to do that. I don't know what it is for you, but you do. Just a, a, a person or a place or a thing or a name or an idea that's in your head right now, you know what it is. You know it, it's, it's in your hands and it belongs at that altar. You know it. But you may walk away from here sadly. You may be unwilling to let go. My favorite poet is a poet by the name of Shel Silverstein. Um, he's a, a children's poet. Um, wrote uh, "A Light in the Attic," um, "Where the Sidewalk Ends," "The Giving Tree." I want you to read this little poem to you. It's uh It's about. So the Pied Piper of Hamlin, he's uh, the guy with the green hat and a feather, and he plays the clarinet thing, and, and he leads the kids out of Hamlin Town, right? And this one's about the kid who stayed, who didn't follow, who stayed behind, called The One Who Stayed. You should have heard the old men cry. You should have heard the biggies, when that sad stranger raised his flute and piped away the kiddies. Katie, Tommy, Meg, and Bob followed skipping gaily. Red-haired Roof, my brother Rob, and little crippled Bailey. John and Nils and Cousin Claire, dancin', spingin', turnin'. Crossed the hills to God knows where, they never came returnin'. Crossed the hills to God knows where, to Piper pranced a-leagin'. Each child in Hamlin Town but me, and I stayed home unheeding. My papa says that I was blessed, for if that music found me, I'd be witch-cast like all the rest. This town grows old around me. I cannot say I did not hear that sound so haunting, hollow. I heard, I heard, I heard it clear. I was afraid to follow. Are you afraid to follow this morning? Are you afraid what it would mean to your security to surrender fully to Jesus' plan for your life. Are you afraid of what that childlike faith would cost you? Why well, I know the irony of it all? The security you get from depending fully on Jesus is worth more than anything you will ever give up. Happen. This morning we're going to sing a song together about resting wholly on Jesus, standing on Jesus. The altar's yours. If you have business, if you have something you need to surrender, if you need to reconnect, we won't judge you. You just know that you're the youngest one here. The altar's yours. Don't be afraid to follow. Don't walk home sadly. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.